Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. In this episode, I speak to property lawyer Hannah Becko, who's also a wellness coach for lawyers with Authentically Speaking. Hannah and I discuss issues regarding mental well-being within the world of law, covering both what firms and individual lawyers can do to improve their well-being, as well as some of the softer skills that are critical to develop in order to get ahead in the profession. Let's get into it. So hi, Hannah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you here. I've been wanting to speak to you <laughs> ever since I kind of had you on my blog. I think it was the third or fourth post I ever wrote on my blog back in October was when I was interviewing you talking about what we're going to be talking about today, which is kind of mental well-being um, in the legal sector. And it's been great to see what you've been doing today and to finally have a chance to um, to actually speak to you and, and kind of hear your thoughts on this um, back and forth, at least over the microphone, if not in person, with the kind of current coronavirus uh, lockdown mechanics in place. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It'll be, uh, be a very interesting discussion, I'm sure. And mental well-being in the legal profession is certainly seeing a bit more visibility, I think, in terms of the discussion and, and kind of um, conversations that are being had regarding it um, but I guess today we're going to dive a little bit more into um, our kind of thoughts on you know the industry-wide potential solutions that we can have to, to the sort of problems that the industry is facing um, and then also towards the end a little bit more about just soft skills and, and kind of things that junior lawyers can bear in mind but before we get too much into that um, a nice kind of icebreaker question I like to ask when people come on the show is is why did you originally want to work within or with the legal profession in the first place and what's your sort of background state for people who haven't had the chance to meet you before? Mm, absolutely. So I think like many people um, who become lawyers, I, I, I fell into it for want of um, any better ideas, perhaps. Um, you know, I, I did well at school and my teachers wanted me to become a doctor, but I didn't um, didn't fancy that route myself. Um, really, it's as simple as I wanted to have a desk, a computer and a briefcase. And <laughs> um, the law seemed to tick all those boxes. So um, it, it was probably accidental. As I say, it was it was a lack of knowledge of anything else that, you know, was was a good career. With with a you know potentially a good salary etc. Holidays were always important to me. I wanted to have mm-hmm. a job where I could have lots of holidays. Um, and I think I've just been lucky actually that I have enjoyed it. Um, I, I love property law. I mean that's what I focus on commercial mm-hmm. property. Um, and I've always been interested in property since, since university. Um, so yes, I think it is just fortunate that I found myself um, enjoying it. And it it's been an interesting sort of fifteen years since I qualified. Um, lots of different changes throughout my career I started off at the sort of usual firms if you like I trained at Beechcrofts um, Mm -hmm. and then went on to Eversheds after that when I started in property and then I sort of took a a bit of a turn when I had my first son so I've I've got three boys now when I had my first son I left um, temporarily. I wasn't sure if I wanted to sort of do the juggle with with the family and the hours and the commute and all that sort of thing. Mm. But fortunately, very quickly, I met um, someone who had co-founded Gunner Cook, where I am now. So it was a very small firm then. There were sort of five or six partners. And I I came on board. It was sort of my my dream job, if you like. They said, you can work from home. You can work as many hours as you want. You can choose the work that you do. Mm. Um, so, So I I sort of signed up straight away and that was eight years ago so um, it's been a pleasure to see the firm grow over those years and because it is such a flexible um, way to work you know being self-employed and being in control of what you do it's just enabled me to have lots of other opportunities to to pursue other things alongside that. 
Absolutely. And one of those other things, of course, is your sort of authentically speaking um, kind of coaching and your kind of thoughts on mental well-being and kind of preparing executives in that way. What's your sort of background there? Yes, absolutely. So um, it was about sort of five years ago, really, that I, I started on this journey for myself personally, originally finding out about stress management and mm-hmm. um, reducing it and how to you know manage your time better so that I could run what was then I was three years into my legal business by then. And it was it was successful you know much much Mm. to my surprise if you like I'd built quite a big business um you know I was I was obviously having a good income but then the hours were were going alongside that so I was working Mm. sort of 10 to 10 11 o'clock at night most nights I wasn't spending time with the children um and I just I could feel my own stress levels rising and all, all the sort of symptoms that I teach people about now you know I had them waking up in the middle of the night not able to sleep well snapping at the children mm. um and even things like you know decision making and focus becomes more difficult you know you, you can't think as rationally and, and make sensible decisions when you're in that sort of high stress state um, so originally it was all just for me personally that I, I went off and did courses and um, qualifications and joined business masterminds and all sorts of things just for my own personal knowledge for my business and my life. But actually, I just I found so much um, not just useful that that's not strong enough, but, you know, life changing and career changing mm. information out there and discovered that I quite like teaching it. So I, I had my first workshop about three and a half years ago um, and it was it was amazing. I've just found that I didn't feel like I was working at all. I absolutely mm. enjoyed it. And and people seem to find it useful um so yes that that came about by accident really about uh, three or four years ago that I found myself um setting up authentically speaking to help other lawyers who had would either reach the place that I had or to perhaps stop them from reaching it in the first place no fantastic and I love what you said about how it didn't feel like work I think that's mm-hmm. a great sign that you're kind of really doing something that you enjoy um and I can just tell by hearing from your background obviously you've practiced within law for a long time um and you've kind of mentioned a few times your own personal experiences and then obviously you know going through with this authentically speaking and the mental well-being side of things there um that you've clearly got a great idea as to you know mental well-being in the law as a problem um and kind of the the, the kind of situations and the nuances involved there so I did want to kind of ask you about that today really which is you know, I think there's a lot of discussion broadly, more generally, um, in terms of mental health and mental well-being. It's it's slowly coming to the forefront, I think, of visibility and, you know, starting to challenge stigmas and opening up conversation. Um, but there's always the, the problem within law specifically, I think, which is that, um, you know, it's it's got its own problems and it will ultimately have its own solutions when it comes to mental well-being um, and the kind of stress that, that lawyers go through. So, What's your kind of assessment as to why, um, you know, striving for mental well-being is so difficult and why is it such a problem within the law specifically? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is so interesting that that stress is such a problem for for mm. law in particular. I mean, obviously, people's stress levels generally in, in the UK are, are not good. But mm. statistically, law is and has been at the top of the list for a long time um, in terms of stressful professions, which in some ways you think, well, why would that be? You know, we're not saving mm. people's lives. We're not putting our own lives in danger. Why, why would our profession be so stressful? Um, and, and there's lots of reasons why it is, you know, lots of 
people point towards the chargeable hours culture you know mm. we do have a lot of targets it's a very target driven environment you know your recorded hours and then your billing targets and then obviously write off and and all these sorts of things that you know until you become a lawyer nobody knows anything about any of these things mm. um and, and people point to those as, as being stressors and i agree they are but i don't think they're the, the sole reason at all um because I, I was i was doing a mental health panel event um, a few months ago and, and we were talking about the chargeable hour and we said well do you know what even if lawyers didn't have a chargeable hours target which some of us don't now you know i don't mm-hmm. i don't in practice and i would like to see the day that it does disappear but even without one people still work very hard it's in our nature it's who we are so it's not the targets per se that cause people the issues people are generally hard-working people in this business um so i think the biggest issue for us is the personality types that get attracted to law and are therefore good at law because of it so we've got the perfectionist sort of tendencies the people pleasers you know high achievers overachievers we never feel we've done enough we've always got to go the extra mile we always want to be the best or near the top of 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 our game you know Mm. these are the sorts of traits that bring us into the law and they're of course traits that law firms look for in people that's what they want don't they high achievers overachievers people who don't say no don't stop um but unfortunately that is then what translates into a lot of high stress levels anxiety depression all the sorts of things that i consider to be the mental health issues absolutely i think it's like 30 percent of lawyers uh, or even attorneys i should say it was a u.s study um are kind of struggling with some kind of drug or alcohol dependency as a result of the stresses of their work and i think you've identified there some some kind of really key factors as the the lawyer side of things in terms of the stresses that we put on themselves um there was actually a, a talk i was kind of re- um, listening to recently from a u.s attorney who was talking about you know the problem with law being that there's almost a race to the bottom in the fact that you know if a client expects you to always be able to pick up the phone at three and you don't they'll simply go and find another lawyer who will and is kind of more willing to to do that for the sake of um you know impressing the client or just kind of servicing their needs so you know to what extent do you think the solution lies with you know lawyers themselves having to fix the problem as a a kind of cultural shift versus you know clients and those who are actually engaging with the legal services having to amend the ways that they're looking to to get services from their lawyers well, it's a fantastic point. And, and I've always said that for me, it's it's half of one and half of another. You know, yes, it's mm-hmm. firm and organisations and culture that, that needs to change too um, and is changing slowly. Um, you know, that, that's, a, I guess, a whole other topic, isn't it? But mm-hmm. um, and then there is the part where people need to take responsibility for their own health, because ultimately, you know, we, we, we are clever people. We're well trained. We're professionals. We ought to be able to make decisions for ourselves and about what's important for us, for our health, for our lives for our careers all those sorts of things and I know um, obviously earlier in your career it is harder to make those sorts of decisions but but not impossible at all and you can certainly even have a roadmap you know for saying you know early on in my career perhaps when I'm training and in the early couple of years I'm I'm prepared to put in x amount of hours etc but you know it it won't be something I do for long because obviously Mm -hmm. our health can't sustain it for long periods of time so that can always be part of somebody's sort of career planning and there's always ups and downs in in work you know whether you're a transactional lawyer or whatever you know uh, department you're in there will be times when it's very very busy and you know the run-up to completion and deals that must complete late nights etc but it Mm. is balancing that with okay I need to then sort of you know rest and, and replenish and look after myself again so there are always the 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 two sides to the coin I think but 
the, the example you used about, you know, clients and their expectations, this is a trap, as I, as I mentioned, it's a character trait for many of us that we fall into, which is mm. to, to always say yes and to always be there for the client. Um, and, and, you know, I did it in the early few years of my business and that's why I nearly burnt out. That's why I was working all those hours because I wouldn't say no if the clients, it, it, was, it was my own business. It was only me putting myself under that pressure. You know, I had no mm. boss. I had nobody to tell me to do it. But because you don't want to say no to clients and business, you, you keep doing it but it was actually one of my clients who did me the greatest favor because I remember him telling a story about being in the pub on a Saturday night with his friends and he had his phone and he said look watch this as he emailed me and they said well what are you doing he said I'm emailing my lawyer and they said well they're not going to respond at eight o'clock on a Saturday night and he said well <laughs> look at this and lo and behold I did respond to his email within you know five or ten minutes mm. and actually he did me a huge favor by telling me that story because I realized then that that is not something that I should be doing or want to be doing. It was not urgent. You know, it wasn't as if we were in the middle of an urgent completion that had to happen straight away. Mm. It was just, I saw it and I thought, oh, I'll respond. I want to be that lawyer that's always responding quickly so that they yeah. don't go off and, you know, find another lawyer, as, as you said in your example. But ultimately, I, I sort of say to people, you know, we have to value ourselves. You know, we have to value our time and our health and our downtime when we're at home. And, and out of the work environment and you know clients who don't respect that do, do we want those as clients mm -hmm. um, and also you know this was this was a few years ago now and I still do a lot of work with this client so this fear that we're going to lose clients if we don't jump and respond straight away of sometimes isn't true we don't lose the client and sometimes you know maybe it wasn't the right client for us anyway mm -hmm. no, absolutely and you've kind of outlined in your answer there some the, the kind of almost individual responsibility that you think lawyers kind of need to have in terms of managing their own workload, their own time. Um, and you kind of brought up the idea of kind of utilizing your off time as well in terms of kind of being able to manage your stress and kind of combat the effects of those kind of heavy work days. I think I, I read a really interesting um, report that found that as a result of the billable album model, um, a lot of lawyers think in six minute increments at home. And so <laughs> they kind of take that short attention span and that, you know, meticulous attention to detail and the idea to always be doing something quote unquote valuable and actually transfer that to their social lives as, as well. Oh, oh, they do. It's so true. Do you know, because I, I, I try to teach meditation as one of my, you know, stress management things, because for me, it was it was life changing. That's what really mm. turned everything around for me. Um, but, you know, I, I have even in the last couple of weeks had people say, I, I really want to try it because you've told me about the science and I can see, you know, how valuable it would be. But every time I try and sit down for five or 10 minutes to meditate, I, I'm so restless because I feel like I should be doing something more important. Mm. And it is we, we, we are. Um, like you say, living our lives in six minute um, units. I mean, whoever came up with that idea, it really <laughs> you know, wouldn't be popular with anybody. But um, yes, this idea that if we're not doing something of value, of worth, that we're wasting our time. I mean, it took me a few years um, and a lot of work with my coach at the time to, to, to mm -hmm. break that, that cycle of I must be doing something valuable with my time when actually just resting and just doing nothing is very, very good for us. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually the basis of the original blog post that I mentioned right at the beginning of this episode was the idea of meditation over mediation. Um, and you described it quite profoundly there as life changing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, myself included, before I kind of 
dabbled with it myself and kind of started to practice um have a big misconception as to what meditation is all about for me i always viewed it as this inherently religious thing or something that you know required this kind of hugely deep state of focus and that you know if you start having a thought of any kind that you've derailed the whole experience and process i was just curious from your perspective as someone who's obviously worked within the law for a long time what was it that kind of made you get into meditation and what were the kind of practical benefits that you think you experienced well i i got into it because um as i mentioned i got to the stage where i knew i was suffering from from chronic stress you know um sort of panic attacks were starting to to rear up and and i just thought i don't i don't want this you know i don't want to live like this and do i need to give up my business give up my career to to be able to avoid my health going going this way what do i need to do and i thought seriously you know i i think i have two options here and, and that was my my thinking i either go and get some antidepressants which i didn't really want to do because I knew it was it was stress that was the thing and I don't even call it work-related stress because I'm not a fan of the labels because actually it's never one or the other there's always a lot of things going on in people's lives it's never just work it's it's always I think it's a combination so for me my, my dad was ill at the time unfortunately mm. now everything is great but my dad had just been diagnosed with cancer and that was obviously having a you know a huge um, worry for me mm-hmm. on top of working working long hours and things so it was a combination of everything um, but yes it was a decision then that I made that I'd heard about meditation before I'd been on a a day or two long course really enjoyed it but as as I say to anybody with courses they're fantastic and and do them but you'll go on the course and you'll feel you know brilliant for a couple of weeks afterwards Mm. but unless you put something regular into practice within two weeks the benefit of that will be all gone and and that's what I discovered but at least I knew um, that that it was powerful I knew the science behind it um, and, and so I knew that it was something I wanted to go back to so, so that's what I did I just got got back in touch with the lady who I'd done the course with um, she at the time had a very simple program of doing 10 minutes meditation every day a very mm-hmm. very simple one you know because I, I agree with the, the comment you made that it can get very complicated if you let it it can become over complicated yes for some people it has a spiritual or religious element to it and for those who want it that's definitely there mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't have to have it can just be very scientific and, and and the effect that it has on your brain and reversing the stress reaction is is what's really powerful about it um you know from a professional's point of view because of how they can use it to manage stress so it doesn't have to have a, a spiritual or religious side to it if you don't want it to so i was just using a very simple daily 10 minutes just repeating one phrase in my head which at the time was going to be i am calm or i am peaceful or mm-hmm. i am confident or whatever it was and just keep repeating that for 10 minutes a day so it can be that simple as you said you know your brain will send you off down another tangent and that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong that's what the brain does but you know you just keep coming back to it and so that's how I started and why I started was because I'd I'd also heard the statistic that you know meditation can be as powerful as antidepressants um, in the right circumstances so that that was the reason I I tried it and, and found yes it changed everything so what did it change obviously it stopped me having that acute stress reaction um help me sleep much better stop me waking mm-hmm. up at two or three o'clock in the morning um focus concentration memory improved all those things um being able to sort of make decisions quickly and that's important from a lawyer's perspective because i don't just mean big decisions i mean the little ones like so for me mm-hmm. marking up a lease you know each clause or each paragraph i'm making a decision about whether that is acceptable or whether i need to amend it do you know so it can be small decisions but even those when you're feeling clearer uh, you know in your mind you can get through all those things much more quickly 
Absolutely. And I guess meditation is a kind of really great example of a, a sort of potential thing that can be done to improve your mental well-being on that kind of micro scale. So we've kind of discussed, you know, the macro scale of firms generally and the idea of working culture. Um, what else is your sort of common advice to lawyers who are looking to, you know, improve their work-life balance is obviously a phrase you hear a lot, but sort of just manage the stresses of day-to-day legal life and to, and to hopefully kind of improve their mental well-being at scale. Yes, there's there's lots I think people can do. Um, it's interesting the work life balance phrase, isn't it? Because, mm. um, in the sort of personal development, mental health world over the last few years, people have started to not use the phrase anymore because they sort of say, well, okay, we know that work life balance doesn't exist, as in a set of scales and trying to keep them balanced. Now I know that because I spent years trying to find it and then realised that no, it it doesn't look like that. If anything, the scales move up and down. That that's the only sort of way that there's any balance. Um, but that, that people still are looking for this sense of, um, I suppose it's peace or contentment with what they're doing. They want mm. to feel that they're doing the right thing, that they're not trying to juggle home and work and getting it all wrong. Um, so so for, for a lot of people, this work-life balance is, is definitely still still a thing. Um, so yes, I mean, I have loads of sort of tools and strategies that, that I teach to my clients, but meditation is certainly one of them. Um, another one is to to actually sit down and have a bit of a think perhaps sometimes for the first time in your life or the first time since you make a decision at 13 20 to go into law you know whatever Mm -hmm. it is sometimes we then just end up on a conveyor belt of what this profession looks like you know it's your university and your training and courses and qualifications and first job etc etc and we never really stop and think what we actually want our life to look like Um, you know what do we want to be spending our time doing what sort of work do we want to be doing what sort of firm do we want to work for how much time Mm -hmm. do we want to spend at home or spend on hobbies or whatever it is so I do encourage people to spend a little bit of time thinking about not just what does success look like to our profession because it's very easy to say oh success looks like the title partner a certain Mm. figure salary a certain size house in a certain area certain holidays in certain countries you know it's very easy to think that's what success looks like but we all have to define that for ourselves you know what do what would we feel successful doing Mm. because there's no point ticking all those boxes and finding actually it makes you miserable Mm. Um, or, or really damaging your health in the process to get there. Um, so it is about identifying what people specifically want. And sometimes that means making tough decisions. You know, I've had clients who've spent years working in, in you know, top city law firms and then they're changing jobs and they're almost automatically going to look at those, so those same firms. But actually, when I talk to them about their values and what's important to them and what they want in the future, a different sort of firm would be much better for them. So mm. sometimes it is just trying to think outside the box and you know what do I really want for my life um and and am I living it you know so those Mm. are the sorts of things it's important for people to think about and then there's loads of other sort of you know great tools out there like having a great morning routine you know I'm a Mm. massive fan of the miracle morning book um and and how you know just how you how you start your day is is the way you know your day is going to go um so you know just having a regular getting up time doing whether it's you know a few minutes of reading or meditation or yoga or exercise or whatever it is um just starting your day off the right way is really really important as well 
Absolutely. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with your whole idea of having that kind of discussion with yourself and trying to create your own sort of life plan and you know, your goals in the next six months, 12 months, 36 months and so on. I mean, um, I think it was just when I was midway through university, I did uh, a sort of self-authoring program by um, Jordan Peterson. And it was it was purely based around those ideas, the idea that you would write in some detail about the kind of ideal future you'd like and then a different future as to one that might happen if you kind of allow all of your negative habits and your kind of tendencies to be self-destructive to you know continue um and then just devising a plan to obviously move towards that former one instead of the latter and it was um yeah, it was really eye-opening and to to kind of agree with a further point you made earlier on the idea of habits over motivation i think is the kind of real idea to to make progress and to move towards your goals so i i agree wholeheartedly with what you just said there And I guess um, this episode, we've we've talked a lot about kind of mental well-being and the importance of kind of being able to manage that as a lawyer and someone who's aspiring to join the profession. Um, but I did also want to ask your thoughts on just other kind of general softer skills that you think it's important for people who are listening, who are perhaps about to enter the profession, trying to enter the profession, or, or even those who are already in it, um, that you think it's important for sort of lawyers to, to have in order to sort of allow them to get the best sort of career that they want and hopefully to be a bit more future-proof going forwards as well. Now, that's a fantastic question. I'm, I'm really glad you put that one in um because i i don't like the term soft skills i'll say that straight mm-hmm. off because it implies that they're somehow not important or valuable mm-hmm. um or you know and, and and you know we have connotations of the word soft versus the word strong don't we mm-hmm. um but the so-called soft skills are the really, really important ones. I mean, there's a great statistic that our success is made up 15% of technical ability and 85% so-called soft skills. So if you think about wanting to become a successful lawyer, whatever that means to you, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, 85% of that is going to be the so-called soft skills, which is why, um, you know, personally, I would love to see them being being trained more, being um, explored more as early as possible in people's careers so I'm, I'm really glad you've brought it up for your audience who can really mm. make the most of this now because believe it or not I mean I'm training 40 45 50 year old lawyers on the same things you know that it's, mm. n- it's not as if they've ever um, been taught them either but you know people might as well get a head start so for me these are things like um, you know it is networking and you know it can be a scary word for a lot of people but it really doesn't have to be I mean I've learned to love networking over the last few years because if instead you know you've got the sort of traditional version of networking which is you know get in there and either give out as many of your business cards as you can or get as many business cards as you can and for anyone who has done it that way you get very little return out of that and it doesn't feel nice while you're doing it which is why nobody wants to do it but if you go instead into it with the idea of I just want to have have some interesting conversations with people maybe I'll meet somebody interesting um, you know whether you end up connecting with them or working with them again in the future doesn't matter at that point it's just about going to to have some interesting conversations and you know f- for me having done so many different things over the last few years makes networking all the more interesting because I can go in and talk to someone about property investment or development or I can talk about personal development or I can talk about stress and mental health and well-being um, mm. you know I can, there's many topics that I will very happily talk to people about which means there's usually something with most people I can find that we've got in common to talk about 
Um, so I do think um, sort of teaching people about the power of um, what I would call authentic networking. Obviously, I use the word authentic a lot is, mm-hmm. is to, to go and be yourself, you know, rather than trying to be someone else worried about impressing people. You know, there's no need to do any of that. It is just to go and have um, nice and interesting conversations with people. And you never know who you might meet. You know, it may not be a potential client for you, but yet their father-in-law or their brother or their best friend or their flatmate might be an ideal client for you. You know, you never do know. And it is, um, I suppose, linked to that is not just networking, but but things like, you know, you're doing on, on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is an amazing platform these days. I, I think you and I have both said before, it's one of our favorite platforms now, you know, mm. teaching young lawyers, which I know many of them are using it now, even students and, you know, trainee barristers, trainee solicitors. Um, they're on LinkedIn now, which is brilliant because that is obviously a form of networking as well. You know, building up their own connections, um, people they might work with in the future potentially and also getting to know other people learning more more of the commercial awareness you know which obviously mm-hmm. is, is a great skill but you can find commercial awareness in lots of different ways it's not just watching the news and reading the papers you know mm-hmm. LinkedIn would be a great source of information for that too so yeah it is the things like networking using LinkedIn um, I personally and the one I teach the most is the whole concept of authenticity so who Mm. who are you as a person and and letting go of this idea of who we think we should be you know what does a lawyer look like talk like talk about you know let's let go of all of that and be who we really are because that's when we're most interesting to people you know they trust us more they find us more interesting they're more likely to form connections with us that will lead to a a longer working relationship for example and we'll be Mm. more memorable you know somebody we meet at a networking event if we're completely ourselves and they warm to us then they're likely to remember us in the future absolutely and if there's one thing you've been this episode Hannah, it's definitely authentic <laughs> in your uh, in your insights and your tips um and it was a you know a real pleasure to hear about your thoughts on mental well-being and i think the, the kind of broader connotations of soft skills generally so where can people go to learn more about yourself and the kind of things we've been talking about today oh absolutely that would be great so everybody's welcome to connect with me on linkedin just hannah becco mm-hmm. on linkedin um and my website is www.authenticallyspeaking.co.uk and there's various pages on there about each either doing some coaching work with me, workshops I offer, um, and a page on there for corporate organizations if they're interested in having trainings or workshops done for their people as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing some of your insights today on this episode. It was uh, great to finally speak with you and for you to share your insights um, with our listeners. So thanks again. Oh, you're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another installment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Clark Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.